I think we could be done for the day because John brought us such a good word about encouragement, and I felt encouraged through that sermon. And as we talk about discipleship today, I don't want it to be missed that true discipleship is encouraging one another. It's spurring each other on, like we talked about last night, and giving each other a kick in the side when we need it, but it's also encouraging one another. And we'll talk more about that this morning. So I don't see John in here right now, but what a, what a beautiful word and what beautiful worship to begin with. All right, we're getting, we're getting sorted here. So I wanted to say also that just because I'm the one up here with a microphone being the presenter on discipleship does not make me the expert in discipleship in the room. There is so much collective wisdom and experience here, and I hope that we will share that with one another. I happen to have the privilege in my job of being given more time to think about this and study this and then hopefully bring you helpful things about discipleship. Like I said, that's what Synod is about, is serving you guys and resourcing you guys. And in the lives of busy pastors and elders, you don't always have the luxury of reading 25 books on discipleship and praying and wrestling with God about it. And so um, I humbly bring this stuff before you this morning. Okay, so let's talk about where we were last night, just relocate ourselves. We talked about our mutual spurring towards discipleship and that the strength of our covenant community as a denomination and in the local churches is how we challenge one another to constantly transform. And so let's move this so I can see. I'm just gonna, I can't see some of you beautiful people over here. Let's move this a little. And so I just want to um, locate us that locate us there, and then talk for a moment about spiritual formation and discipleship. I just want to say that depending on your background and where you've come from, in church history, spiritual formation and discipleship tend to be two different streams. And sometimes these two different streams don't meet. I want to say one of the unique things that ECO is trying to do is merge these two streams. Spiritual formation tends to come more from the contemplative um, stream of things, Uh, Jesuit, uh, Desert Fathers and Mothers, and sometimes we evangelical Presbyterians hear spiritual formation language and we are suspect of it. But I want you to know that I really value the two streams coming together. And I think spiritual formation and discipleship, I use those terms interchangeably because I really believe that for a fuller spiritual growth understanding, we need both of those streams. And so I want to talk a little bit about how I see those streams merging and how I have found 
so much important in the spiritual formation contemplative stream that has helped me to grow as a disciple and I think is crucial for those we want to grow as disciples, right? Spiritual formation often is things like spiritual directors and spiritual practices, and those things are not magic in and of themselves, but really are practices that help us to open our souls to Christ so that we might be formed. And spiritual formation says our spirits are being formed one way or another, whether we like to admit that or not. And so what do we want to form our spirits? So what we're really after as Christians is the spiritual formation of our inner selves into Christ-likeness. And sometimes spiritual formation stream says we are going to The emphasis is transforming our inner selves first towards outer behavior. And sometimes the discipleship stream is more about outer behavior, which then might form our inner selves. And so you can see how both of those things are necessary. And in spiritual transformation, the work is God's, right? We know that it's all by grace and not by our own white knuckling and trying it. So there's a passive part to that, that transformation is a gift of grace. But we also want to say it is possible to make real progress in this life to be more like Jesus by our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So there's a passive part to spiritual formation And there's an active part where we say, Lord, I want to cooperate with what the Spirit wants to do inside of me. And so the goal to me of both spiritual formation and discipleship is spiritually formed disciples who then walk alongside other disciples to help them become spiritually formed disciples. So as you hear me using these terms interchangeably, I want to suggest that eco can be a place where these two streams merge, and we can celebrate that, and we can say both of these streams are necessary for us to become more like Christ, and for us not to be so suspect of spiritual formation language and practices I myself have had a spiritual director for the last decade with whom I don't know that I would still be, without whom I don't know that I would still be in ministry. Uh, She has been an encourager and a discipler in my life in a very unique way. And spiritual practices, silence and solitude and Lectio Divina, I also would not be who I am today as a pastor and mother and wife and all those things without those spiritual practices. So there's a plug for spiritual formation. So last night we talked about some of the deficits um, in discipleship. And so I want to start with a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of good news this morning, that I think that many of our people sitting in our congregations, this is their heart's cry. So that's, that's really good news. I think that they have 
they are in church because many of them, Jesus Christ is already their Lord and Savior. They want to learn about him. They admire him. They want to be like him. And they're trying really hard to be like him. But their heart's cry is, I want to be like Jesus. And so as pastors and elders and session, it's our job to help them with that. And I think a lot of times they try really hard to be like Jesus, and then they fail and they become disheartened, and they assume it's impossible. And so somewhere along the way they give up because they don't have people alongside them encouraging them each step of the way. But it is really good news that this is the heart's cry of many of our people. So I want to suggest that becoming like Jesus is a little bit like learning to play the piano. If we take this young girl here as our example, and she goes to her mom and dad one day and says, I want to learn to play the piano. I want to be a piano player. It's doubtful that mom and dad say to her, hey, sweetie, that's a great idea. Why don't you just pray to God that he make you become a piano player, and then we'll be done with that. No, what she has to do is invite a teacher into her life. She sits alongside her teacher for weeks and days and months. She learns to play basic scales. She learns basic skills, and as she practices those over and over again, she is transformed into someone who is like her teacher, and someday she can say, I'm a piano player. And so there's a lot of similarity to the Christian life. If we want to become more like Christ, we don't just say passively, although this is a part of it, God, make me more like Jesus. Um, there are things that we can do right now, wherever we are, to train, to practice becoming more like Jesus instead of just trying or just praying to become like Jesus. So we need to have people in our lives that encourage us and teach us. We need to have practices that form us. We need to go for progress, not perfection, as we learn to become disciples. So that's going to lead us to the three essentials of discipleship. And so we get into the nuts and bolts here instead of just talking about theory and discipleship, which is what I feel like happened to me for a lot of years of sitting in church, is I heard about discipleship, I knew that it was important, but I didn't really understand the what and the how. So we're going to look at these three essentials of discipleship. The first one is a clear definition and picture of a disciple. Second is that it's relational. And third is that it's reproducible. So we're going to do a double click on each of these and talk more about these. So, uh, as Nelson was referring to last night, what are we discipling people towards? And the New Testament is kind of too big to kind of say, hey, 
This is what we're discipling you towards. There's so many different metaphors and information. And so if we can distill that down for people, we really need to come to a clear definition and a clear picture of a disciple and then a clear definition and picture of discipleship, the process of how we make someone into that picture. So it probably goes without saying that this definition must be from the word and centered on the word. It must, the goal must be transformation and not just information. And as we saw last night with looking at Luke 10 and even looking at our brainstorming here on the flip chart, it has to include being on mission. So those are just some of the basics. And so I'm going to offer to you today, and you have a handout with many more of these, some sample definitions so that you can see that this can be simple. It doesn't need to be a year-long study and a 20-page report. In fact, it, the simpler, the better, something that your people can catch and... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, restate easily. Um, so here are a couple definitions that I like. There is no one magic definition um, in your context, and I want to say this overall. The reason that I'm giving you tools and spaces and essentials is because discipleship is going to look different in every one of your context. I'm not going to tell you one specific way and one specific definition of being a disciple, but here are a few for you to consider, and there's many more on your handout. So I like this one. A flourishing disciple is someone who is learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. This is by Neil Hudson out of London. And he wrote a book, which will be on your resource list, you will receive later, called Imagine Church. And you probably would want to do some kind of double-click or a few bullet points on what do we mean by the way of Jesus. That probably needs a little more explanation, but you can see it's a short definition. Um, and one of the things I like about this definition is learning is an active verb. It's not a one-time thing, right? This is a lifelong pursuit. So here's another one. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to Jesus' kingdom mission really like that one. Also, you might need a few bullet points under following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and what is Jesus' kingdom mission. Here's one that I came up with. Uh, discipleship is a lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus, to Jesus, and with others where we are learning to love and live like him. I really liked last night as we were brainstorming together that Jesus, both on the definition and the how, if we're not, the measure of true discipleship is how well we love 
Are we loving like him? And so I think, um, to me, that's an essential part of either the definition or the picture of a disciple. So I offer you those three and the ones on the sheet. Um, Your church doesn't need to come, if you want to come up with your own original definition and picture of disciple, that's great. But if there's one that resonates with you or you want to borrow from more than one, that's great too whatever you guys can own and really get behind. So here I want to talk about next a sample picture of a disciple. And this actually comes from one of our eco churches, Bridge City Church in Columbus, Ohio, with Keon Abner as the pastor. So I love this, and this is also um, all uh, Dana Allen's book, Simple Discipleship, head, heart, and hands is a way for us to define a disciple. But I love this. Head, a disciple has a mind shaped by the word of God. A mature disciple will increasingly understand the person of God, the glory of God, and mankind's need for grace as a result of dedicated time spent in the scripture. Then heart, they have a heart shaped by the character of God. And this is more the spiritual formation inner part. A mature disciple will increasingly evidence character traits consistent with the life of Jesus. And then hands, we have priorities shaped by the mission of God. A mature disciple will increasingly orient their life around the spread of God's glory, both near and far. So simple, concise, something that we can wrap our mind around. And I know Bridge City Church would not mind other churches using their work. So that is the first essential of discipleship, is that we have a clear picture of a disciple, a clear definition, and we're going to be talking more about the process here in a little bit. So the second one is relational, and I have several subpoints under relational. We talked about this a little bit last night, but this relation, relationality must be intentional. Discipleship rarely happens by accident. It really happens in intentional spaces where there is structured life-on-life, covenanted, regular meetings for encouragement, accountability, and growth. And in these intentional times, which we will also talk about what these can, can and should look like in a little bit, but they can't be program driven, they can't be curriculum driven, and they can't be teaching driven. They have to be relationally driven. I'll say more about that. But let's, I think that this is a real paradigm shift in our churches, and this is one of the culture shifts that I think we're going to get pushed back against. People want to believe that programs and knowledge alone can make us disciples. We're somewhat uncomfortable with the idea that we have to sit life on life with people 
and be transparent, and that is the way to disciple. And yet we look at the way Jesus made disciples and we go, oh, we can't really get around this relational thing. So let's look at some relational stats for Christians. So 79% of Christians believe that spiritual maturity requires no connection to a community of faith. That means they think it's just them and God. God alone is Lord of the conscience. Why do I need other people? It's just Jesus and me, and that's fine. 37% of Christians believe that their own spiritual growth is entirely private, right? And this is either, it's bad ecclesiology, it's somewhere along the line that um, we led people to believe this, and we taught people to believe this. But scripture shows us that we are created in the image of a Trinitarian God, and so this just isn't an option. If we look at Jesus, if we look at the apostles, if we look at the early church, there's no private discipleship going on. So that's the bad news, and that's why I say it requires a cultural paradigm shift which is only, it's not going to happen in an announcement or on one Sunday morning or one month. It's going to take some time for this paradigm shift to occur. But here's some good news. Um, bad news, then good news. So only 1% of church leaders believe that they're actually doing well in discipling. But 90% of believers in that same survey said that if their church offered them a pathway to discipleship, that they would pursue it. They would consider it. And I think that goes back to that heart's cry of people saying, I do want to be like Jesus. I'm just not sure how to do it. So there's some bad news, good news there. Um, but it's going to take slow experience and ripple effects of relational life-on-life discipleship for this to happen. The second double-click, our sub-point under relational, is we talked about this last night. I really think it has to be by personal invitation. That's how Jesus did it. He, he prayed about who she, he should invite. He saw them. He went up to them specifically, tapped them on the shoulder, and invited them by name. And one of the reasons I think this is important is because when we start discipleship that way, then it grounds discipleship in relationship, and it allows for a covenant to be made between people. We'll talk about what that covenant looks like, but if in the beginning it's, I see you, I've been praying, and God put it on my heart to invite you into a discipling relationship, that's a lot different than an announcement made from the front of the church. It grounds it in our personal relationship together. And then thirdly, Relational discipleship has to have transparent trust. Again, this is a big culture shift and makes a lot of our people uncomfortable. 
but people are able to be authentic and honest in their discipleship groups about struggles, doubts, sins, and progress. And really, studies show that microgroups of about two to four people is where this is, where this is possible. Small group ministry, although good for fellowship and other things, often does not allow this depth of sharing and vulnerability and transparent trust to build. I know this is hard um, for people, especially sometimes our older generations, who the church has led them to believe that this is not necessary. And we'll talk about, I think, by experience, we can start changing hearts and minds as we invite people into relationships of transparent trust. So let me just say um, from Greg Ogden's book, which was mentioned last night, and I would say is my favorite book on discipleship, Greg Ogden says this, the extent to which we are willing to reveal to others, not everyone, but just a small group of people, those areas of our lives that need God's transforming touch is the extent to which we invite the Holy Spirit to make us new. And that's a scary truth. I want to believe I'm just accountable to God alone, and it's nobody else's business what my habitual sins and struggles are. And that's great, <laughs> but it doesn't account for the fact that we all, because of original sin, have an infinite capacity for self-deception and self-justification. So we need each other. We need each other to help hold up the mirror of Scripture and say, my sister, what you are doing is not God's best for your life. And that makes us uncomfortable, but it's by design that we really need that. So the extent to which we are willing to let the light shine in the dark areas of our hearts and lives is the extent usually to which we are open to God growing us and changing us. And that's scary for a lot of people. Okay, the third essential here is that it needs to be reproducible. Last night, one of the first things that was said is disciples who disciple, right? That is the goal, and that's the expectation built into the covenant from the very first invitation. After a person has experienced true discipleship, then they are encouraged to help disciple others in a new microgroup in a way that's possible for them. And I want to underline a way that's possible for them. Like we said, if it's all hierarchical discipleship where the facilitator of the group has to be the expert in the room and the most mature Christian in every area of life, then nobody's going to feel equipped or encouraged to lead a discipleship group. So it has to be reproducible in that the structure or the method that's used has to be transferable to all people. 
pastors, staff, and lay people. It can't, the bar can't be so high that nobody wants to step into this. So if it's too complicated or it relies on experts, then people aren't gonna feel equipped to lead microgroups. And in our next part of the talk, we're gonna talk about how the three spaces that are required for discipleship help to take some of the pressure off of these facilitators or people who will lead these microgroups. So before we move on to those three spaces, I'm going to give you a few minutes to pause to reflect, to take out that worksheet on the three essentials and make some notes. Where do you think your church is at? Where, what, where area could you start in? where just do some evaluation and thinking and praying over these three essentials. I'll give you about four to five minutes of quiet with this, and then we'll have a few people share with us. Again, I always want things to go from your head to your heart, and so I need to stop talking for a little bit and let the Lord speak to you and you do some transferring from head to heart. So take a few minutes of quiet and then we'll come back together. If anybody needs a handout, we have some more. So, oh, great. There's some hands. Here's in the front row. They need a couple.
Okay, um, just if a few people would like to share uh, what you're thinking about and what you're hearing, what you're learning, that, that would be great encouragement to everyone else. I like that. And that's how Jesus started with an invitation. Come and see, come and follow me, right? Not a mandate, an invitation. Yeah, I like that. What else? I like, I like that. I hadn't thought of the math that way either, but you're right. You're right. Yeah, disciples who make disciples, that it is continued. Part of the invitation to discipleship has inherent in it in the definition that you will then help to make other disciples. Yeah. Maybe one more person. Yes. Yes. And that's really important, I think, to first recognize our own, like, oh, that's scary, right? Because if we're having that, then we know our people are going to be having that, too. It's like, can I get to the place with a microgroup of people where I'm willing to risk being vulnerable and authentic for the sake of growth? And then, yeah, then the practical question of how do we do that? And one of the questions we're going to talk about next in this three spaces is what can you repurpose that you're already doing? There's a group, um, there's a church in Washington who, an eco-church, um, they're repurposing their small groups and asking their small groups to break up into microgroups to begin doing this discipleship work. So instead of saying, we're going to ask you to do something extra, you're going to do small groups, and we're going to ask you to do microgroups, it's like, okay, let's take what they're already doing, repurpose it, and make it more intentional towards discipleship. So, yeah, I want you to be thinking 
what do we repurpose, what do we stop doing, and what do we start doing, right? That's a, it's, I, you can't just infinitely add more to your plate and to everybody else's plate. So that's a great, that's a great way to be thinking. Okay, yes. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in, uh, in this next section right now. It's a great, it's, it's these three spaces that I think the church needs to provide that um, show a pathway. Great question. Yes. Thank you. And encouragement. It, yeah, it's slow. It, it's um, not an overnight thing that happens, but it does work. It does work slowly but surely. Okay, last person. Yes, I think, I, I do think yes, and that we're going to talk about that in a minute. When you invite someone to covenant with you in a discipleship group, you be really clear about what you're asking of them, and I'm going to talk specifically about what I think the ask is, but much like Jesus, you know, the passage we looked at last night in Luke 10, you know, he told them, it's going to be hard, people are going to reject you, and you know, and so I think we have coddled people for too long and said, this is easy, and this is um, no big time commitment, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you can't become a piano player without putting the time in, in the same way that you can't grow as a disciple unless you really want to put the time in. So my answer to that is yes, tell them what commitment they're making. It's not a bait and switch, right, because that's not going to go well. Okay, so, okay, let's get to the three spaces essential for discipleship, and that's your other colorful handout. I love a good Venn diagram, and so here you have the sweet spot in the middle 
which is where flourishing disciples continually grow into whole life disciples who are on mission. Remember we said mission has to be core to our discipleship definition. And I think the sweet spot where this grows is between public teaching, divine encountering, and transparent forming. So let's talk about each of those spaces. So public teaching is forward-facing. It's like what we're doing right now. It's any number of people with a person up front with a microphone. There might be a little bit of interaction like we're doing, but it's a bigger space. Transparent forming is facing towards others. That's that micro group, two to four people. And divine is you and Jesus and time alone. You've probably seen these spaces before. I took these from Alex Absalom and Dandelion and other places. They say that there's five contexts for discipleship. Um, the two that I leave out or we leave out are um, social context and personal context. Social context would be like 20 to 70 people, like think of your... Uh, church picnic or potluck or fellowship times. Uh, personal context would be these small groups. It's not to say that those two things can't point people towards discipleship. I think as a pastor, five contexts of discipleship are too many for me to process and hold on to. And so I really boiled it down to the three that I think are essential but definitely use those other two to point people towards the three. Does that make sense? The three spaces. So um, let's talk about these three spaces. The first one is public teaching, where people gather in large groups to learn key aspects of scripture, faith, and discipleship. And this would be preaching and teaching that covers themes of scripture. We want people to have a holistic understanding of the biblical story and a complete picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in this public teaching, I think that we should normalize it that we're pointing people towards these other two spaces. In all of our public teaching, we want to say, you need time with the Lord, and you need time shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with other believers. And so also we want to say this preaching and teaching gives information that's focused on transformation always. And what I'd like to suggest, and it, again, this is different for every context, depending on if you have Sunday school, adult Sunday school, if you don't, all those things, but that the church could regularly, either in worship or Sunday school classes, offer classes based on the basics of faith, the basics of the Bible, and the basics of discipleship. And one of the reasons public teaching is so important is this is where it takes the pressure off of the microgroup leaders to provide this essential teaching and to be the experts, right? We need a foundation as the gathered church so that when we are the scattered church, we all are building on that same um, foundation. So whatever that looks like, that you would encourage all covenant partners 
to take these basic classes. Um, and maybe you would have Christianity 101, Bible 101, Discipleship 101, and as people mature, then over the years you could add some higher level courses if you wanted to. But whether this is in worship, um, in sun, and it doesn't even, I don't, Sunday school, I mean classes, some people have midweek, Wednesday classes, that type of thing. Um, you could even do like your Wednesday night that you're talking about, I don't know what it looks like, but you could start out with a time of public teaching all in common and then have microgroups break out at that exact time or then microgroups are gonna meet throughout the week in homes and coffee shops and all that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned last year at the national gathering in my discipleship breakout is this very simple thing that you can do in public teaching areas. This is an idea of Neil Hudson called This Time Tomorrow, and we're going to do it on Sunday here at Community West. But it's a time where you invite one of your covenant partners forward and you ask them three simple questions. What will you be doing this time tomorrow? right, Monday morning at 10 a.m. How is God working in that space, and how could you partner with him in that space, and how can we pray for you or equip you to be Christ's representative in that space? So, right, you're taking a public teaching time and bringing home the idea of whole life discipleship. So that's the space of public teaching, the second space is divine encountering. This is being alone with Jesus, enjoying his presence, and listening for his voice. This is solo time daily with the Lord, abiding. It's word-centered silence and solitude. It's spiritual practices that help us open our souls to Christ. And I want to say, I think the church has done our people a disservice by saying there's a one-size-fits-all way to do this quiet time, right? It has to be me, my Bible, and a journal, and or a devotional. Um, God has wired us all really differently, and we all encounter the Lord differently. And there's a great book by Gary Thomas called The Seven Sacred Pathways that just illumines the different way. Some of us are sensates, some of us want to be in nature, some of us are intellectual, some of us need a candle. It, you know, some of us just go on a nature walk with Jesus and listen to scripture as we walk, and that's our best way to encounter the Lord. So I think offering um, different ways that this can look is really helpful. I think this really needs to be normalized as part of the definition of disciple at your church. We're not legalistic about it, but you need time with the Lord if you want to grow to be like him. I think this needs to be encouraged and talked about for every believer and disciple, not just the really mature ones. Um, but And just to tell people, start where you're at. If it's five minutes a day, great. If you're 30 minutes or more a day, great. It's progress, um, not perfection. And I think uh, that if you have resources or others have resources, music that they like, devotionals that they like, apps that they like, 
have them share that um, as the gathered church and say, this is way I really like to abide in the Lord so that people can be encouraged and get ideas of what that might look like for them. For some of them, it might be a new discipline. So that's the second essential space. And then the last one is transparent forming. So we've talked about this a lot. Um, Build trust with each other enough to be transparent, intimate, and accountable for the purpose of growing into maturity. And so I list a few things here. Um, I am currently being discipled by someone, um, an older, wiser pastor, and so it's a hierarchical discipling. But I have to tell you just the accountability I meet with him once a week for an hour, and the accountability of knowing, and we're reading through books of the Bible, that he's going to say to me, what'd you hear in scripture, what'd you read, and what are you learning each week, gets me to do my quiet time on days when I'm too busy, or I'm too tired, or I just can't fit it in. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to answer for this on Wednesday morning. And so that accountability is a spur in my side in a good way. It mutually spurs me on. Also, it must be grace-filled. We know that people carry a lot of shame and guilt, and that's one of the reasons we don't want to bring our dark places into the light. And so it has to be a very safe place where there's no judgment and no comparison. And that's really essential. There has to be modeling of sharing highs and lows, vulnerability, authenticity, the ideal versus the real, right? We all, and last night uh, Keith was telling us we slick it up, right? Um, This is a place where you don't slick it up. This is where you talk about the real versus the ideal, And then we've talked a lot about mutuality, that not one of us is in charge of discipling the others, but we are building each other up, and it's iron sharpening iron. We each have something to offer. So we talked about this also. Transparent forming might require a culture shift in your church. It really requires, at the very least, weekly or bi-weekly meetings. If you get to once a month, it's just too far out for that accountability and that transparent trust. Um, I think it has to be by invitation. I think that there has to be a clear covenant. And I think that that clear covenant should be from there at beginning. When we invite someone into discipleship, we say, here's what I'm inviting you into this is what it's going to look like, this is the expectation of time given and spent every week, and then when we're done with our 12 months together as a microgroup, I'm going to expect that you do this with other people. So there's a clear covenant that your church could even type up, right, and could be available of what we are expecting. I also think in the beginning to build trust, and you will get this on your resource sheet that'll be emailed to you after the Presbytery meeting, but sharing your life journeys is a great place to start. And Leighton Ford Ministry 
has a really good tool that I have shared with you on how to share your life journeys. We use this in the ordination process. People share their spiritual autobiographies as a way to begin to build that bridge, get to know each other um, and our tender places and how we came to know Christ and that type of thing. So in this transparent forming place, I would say there's a leader who facilitates the group but is not the disciple of all disciples, but they are in charge of inviting the structure, all that type of thing. I believe that a person should not facilitate a group until they've experienced one, because we can talk about discipleship, but until you've truly experienced and know what it is, we don't want to be replicating the wrong things. So you also need to choose a structure or a method that your microgroups will use. I'm going to suggest one in a moment. And I think we always need to expect key leaders, elders, and staff. There's an expectation built into your job description that you will always be facilitating a microgroup. And once you graduate one out, you will take another one on. And so this is this reproducible multiplication we're talking about. So I'm going to suggest to you, I'm going to give you a sample discipleship microgroup meeting. Again, this is a suggestion, and it can be tweaked, and there is no magic structure. So I offer this as something that I have seen work in my own life, my pastoral covenant group uses this as our structure. We spend an hour together every week, and this is what we do in our hour together. I want you to see that it's fairly simple. So you have some kind of discipleship check-in. How is God growing me? Or it can be a specific accountability question. Or it can be a discipleship design, which is what I'm going to teach you in our next talk. Um, doesn't really matter. You do some kind of check-in with each other. Then the center, the star of your time together is the word in community where you're listening for God together. And so maybe you choose a book of the Bible. Maybe you start off with Philippians. It's short. It's four chapters. You read a small part of a chapter, and then you just ask three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? And if you want to have a companion guide, um, like a commentary like N.T. Wright's Philippians for Everyone, John for Everyone, if you want to have something alongside you, great. Um, and if not, that's okay too. But you spend time, and we talked about this last night, helping people know that they can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to them in Christian, in Christian scripture for themselves, that they don't need to rely on their pastor to do that for them. So the word comes alive for them. And then you spend some time saying, well, what will I do about what I've heard? Is there a commitment? Is there a comfort? Is there a challenge that God has for me in this scripture? And then you close in prayer. You pray for each other, for commitments that were made, and for personal concerns. So it's not super complicated, and like I said, this doesn't have to be the structure that everyone uses, but you need a structure so that all of your microgroups are building on that same structure.
Um, I want to share, again, from Bridge City Church. This is what I shared earlier, the mind, heart, um, all of that. But there's accountability questions underneath these. So skip down to the cues. You could use these as your introductory questions. You could make them different questions every time. How has your time in the scripture this week led you to delight in God, repent of sin, relish forgiveness, or give thanks for grace? Isn't that a beautiful, rich, that could be your question every time, right? That's a beautiful, rich question. What questions have you grappled with as you seek to understand and be shaped by God's word? What came up for you this week that you didn't get or you didn't understand in reading the Bible? What practices are helping you align your heart with God's heart? What are the places that God's making you aware you need to grow in conformity with Jesus? And the next slide, um, how have friendships within the family of God helped you sharpen one another? How have your decisions reflected the priority of God's mission? So again, this is from Bridge City Church in Columbus, Ohio. So I just give you this as an example of what you could do in that check-in time with each other, and I'm going to give you another tool in our last talk together. So when you invite someone into a discipleship microgroup, what is the ask? We want to be clear about this. Uh, clarity is kindness. Um, in in all areas of church and theology, I believe. So the ask is, you're saying there's going to be two to four of us in this group. If you say yes to this invitation, I'm asking you to spend at least 15 minutes a day with Jesus and the Bible. I'm asking that we spend one hour together a week, or it could be bi-weekly, I'm asking that we do this for at least 11 months together, and then when we're done, I'm going to ask you to invite two to three others to do these things with you. And these are the type of things that would be in a written covenant. So you give them a personal invitation and say, I'm going to give you this piece of paper if you'd like to go home and think and pray about it before you want to give me an answer. So those are the three spaces, and if we think about, if you look at that Venn diagram, I really think that's what get those three spots get us to that sweet spot in the middle of growing disciples who are on mission together. So now I'm going to give you a couple minutes to pause to reflect and evaluate and use that worksheet as you look at the three spaces I'm suggesting are necessary for discipleship. So take a few minutes to do that.
Okay, I know we're running a little bit behind, so I'll just take a couple people. There's one more slide after this that has some good, might have some good questions. Um, so anyone, as you reflect on these three spaces? Mm, that's a really good question. Role of gender. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What is the role of gender in microgroups? There are different schools of thought on this, and I think it depends on your context and the people. Um, so let me say that first. I think being an egalitarian denomination means that men and women um, are better together in a lot of ways. So I personally am in a mixed gender pastoral covenant group, intentionally so. Um, but I know that there are challenges in transparent trust and sharing where that may just inhibit discipleship and growth for people. So that's why I say it depends on as you're praying and thinking and who you are and who you're inviting. Um, I leave that to your discernment and wisdom and your context and the people that you're working with. Um, I would say if you do mix gender, that make sure nobody is an only, right? It, there would be, I don't want there to be only one female or only one male. I would say it at least needs to be equal but I, I trust you all to discern that. I think it could work well either way. Good question. Anyone else? Thoughts or questions? As you think about the three spaces. What are you wanting at this point um, to take back and share with your church that you've heard. Maybe everyone's just fatigued now. Maybe it's time for a break. Okay, we'll have we'll have more time more time to discuss. Um, and I'm going to talk, we're really hoping all of you can come to the National Gathering. I'm going to talk at the next time. I'll have a slide about um, what we're offering at the National Gathering in terms of discipleship. And you could bring teams and invite people to get further along in that. So uh, let me close us in prayer. And then I think we're going to the business part of the Presbyterian meeting. But let me close us in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for your invitation to each of us to be your disciple, to be your apprentice, to walk with you and learn from you. And Lord, uh, we are so grateful for that invitation. I'm so grateful that each person here has said yes to that invitation. And Lord, be with us as we consider and pray and think over how to issue that invitation to others. Be at work in our churches even now to be tilling the soil for this type of discipleship. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.